Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and did not earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work, to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives, Goldman Sachs, the Financial Times, Forbes Technology Council, World Economic Forum, Harvard University, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Brian Francisco from co-founding <laughs> from co-founding and launching the Ira Wireless brand to guiding niche Kickstarter brands such as Rockblock and Fromaggio in the product development and strategic business development planning process. Bryant is a brand production and affiliate strategist with a distinctive familiarity with the Asian north and south american markets through the use of his multilingual capacity in mandarin english and spanish bryant helped 700 plus brands develop a cookie cutter manufacturing and sourcing process to scale up using a kickstarter and indiegogo manufacturing partner he has been fortunate to collaborate with countless talented individuals in business development, design, engineering, branding, storytelling, and manufacturing. And through them, Bryant learned to analyze challenges and problematic processes and worked together to discuss and implement effective and measurable solutions. In that journey, he had to negotiate with thousands of factories to source or create components in China and South Southeast Asia. Bryant, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you for your lavish, long introduction there. Well, I love it. You have worked hard to earn it, so better celebrate it. And to ask you, on a very basic level, what do you do? What is the opportunity that allows what you do to be possible? And can you explain it in simple terms for anybody who's not yet familiar with the whole process that you go through? Of course, absolutely. So I think it's best to start at the beginning. Um, 1987, that's when I was born. And when my parents, no, I'm not going to start, <laughs> not, not so far back, but at least uh, 10, 15 years ago, uh, I met the CEO, uh, this time it wasn't, Morphin wasn't created, but his name is Joshua Fairbairn. So I ran into him randomly in Serbia. So I studied finance and marketing. I'm originally from New York City. I was born in New York and raised in New York for the most part. Uh, during my uni years, I studied, uh, studied abroad in London and in London eventually ended up uh, going to Eastern Europe because of friends that I met. 
and I ended up in Serbia, super random. Uh, learning the language, learning the culture, was traveling through most of ex-Slavic countries, Yugoslavian countries like Croatia, Serbia, Kosovo, Macedonia, and so on. And uh, I was this time I happened to be in Novi Sad. Uh, I was going to Novi Sad from Belgrade in Serbia, and I happened to run into in the same bus. It was actually only three foreigners, um, and it was this other person that was all the way in the back, and then Josh was actually in the bus. Josh was heading to Hungary, so we were we were just asking each other. The, the driver didn't speak much English, and was like, "Hey, are you going to the same direction?" And I, I told him, "I'm going to Novi Sad." He's like, "I'm going to Hungary." And we were like, uh, is, is you sure the same bus? And the driver was like, I, we're going to the, we're going to both, to both places. This is how I drive. It's okay. Stop asking questions. He just like, just sit down. And we were kind of like, uh, like last four. We're no one else in the bus. And we just, it seems like we, we didn't know we were going the right direction, but we started talking. We hit it off. Um, Josh at this point was at, Ch in China. And I finished traveling Europe for the past uh, one, two years while I was studying abroad. And Josh at this point launched this project that got me very interesting. It was called Headcase. And it was a really cool project connected to like three or four major nonprofit. Each color represented a different nonprofit. So the yellow one helped give uh, polio vaccinations to people in need in Southeast Africa. The black one helped a human trafficking victim. White one, the white one helped provide clean water to uh, to those who needed it within to South America and Africa. And it was a really cool project connected to the headphones. He launched the first week um, with Indiegogo, which is one of the big crowdfunding platforms. And within the first week, he received forty grand in support. At this point, I decided to uh, to help to jump with the project. He was like, come to China, and I was all right, fine, sure. I decided to, uh, you know, go come back to the U.S., pack my stuff from Serbia, and then I ended up moving to China uh, in Guangzhou at this point. And you know, China was completely different from what I knew from between Central, South, North America, and Europe. Mm -hmm. And the project was doing well until we went to get the prototype, and it wasn't at all what we wanted. So we put the project on pause, and Josh decided to create a team of people that kind of guided company guided new foreign companies in the product development process from beginning to end you know he wanted people not to go through the same headaches he went through so josh studied mandarin intensely for two three years in montreal he's originally from canada and he learned to speak and what he speak and write chinese perfectly uh it was even now to today is a chinese is phenomenal my chinese is, uh, over the past eight nine years gotten really pretty 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 good but it's still not as close as his. And it's funny because he has a, a, a very heavy Chinese, Cantonese accent, even when he speaks. So it's just funny when we're ordering food when we're at the office and the delivery guy comes in and he sees like, hey, this is this is an And he's like, whose food is this? And he'll come in and he was like, it was my food, I order it. And the guy's like, what? I was just, hey, I was just speaking to you because he's like this albino looking six foot, uh, guy, Canadian guy, super tall guy, and he has a very thick Chinese accent. So the Chinese, it's just uh, one of those funny things when you when you actual actual delivery guy comes in, they see the person was like, that's not what I thought it was. But 
Uh, so yeah, we are we've been working. We were working on the project and we put it on pause. Decided to put together a team. This is the inception of Morpho. Within the first year, he grew the company to a hundred clients. Now we are the company is over nine, ten years old. We help hundreds of different brands from all over the place. Uh, the majority come from uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo platforms for the fact that we are recommended and their and their platform as a manufacturing partner. The reason for this is that during the early stages that uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you know, nine, ten years ago when they were launching projects, anybody could get on the platforms. And what was the big problem was that a lot of people were launching the projects and there were no way they could kind of deliver. They were just like, hey, this is a picture of this machine that's going to make you breathe through under, you know, breathe in the water and going to make you fly. And people's like, yeah, take my money. And then, you know, they wouldn't deliver the project. So they was they were getting a bad reputation. And um, that's where kind of Josh and reached out to this company. He was like, hey, I've been working with some engineers and I can help you kind of uh, you know, scale up the production of successful platforms, you know, deliver prototypes. So this is where the partnership came about. And, you know, we started getting a lot of different projects coming from quick crowdfunding platforms, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, and so on. Um, and that's kind of how, how it began. Uh, how our, our process, uh, our process is basically done in three phases. The first phase is like this onboarding phase, and we create a team of people that guides them from A to Z. So we all have, we have three different type of clientele. One is client that comes to us just with an idea, just a concept, and we have to take this concept and finalize them through the different design files that they have made, uh, different CAD files. Uh, all the ones, all the clients, they come with the design files in a prototype. And the third one is like they have everything, but they want to switch their supply chain to China. So we spent uh, the first five, six years just visiting thousands of different factories and suppliers all over uh, China and, and Southeast Asia. And uh, we have a vetting system that we have a, a legal team that comes with us. So basically we have a checklist before we work with them. We want to make sure they have the ability to provide any certifications. Uh, the engineers are up to date with the latest trends. They are able to you know, provide proper working conditions for the employees, right? There's no child labor. There's no six-year-old kids from even factory. These are actual... Uh, trained professionals that have that work with different brick brands, right? And I think this is what, believe it or not, this was the most challenging part of the of the process. Just because, to, in order to make this relationship, you have to really understand the Chinese culture. Meaning that we have to uh, something is called guangxi. Guangxi is like this this relationship in uh, building in China. It's very, and this is like the number one thing before. Uh, anything else and, and whether it comes to business or families orientation this is you know relationship is very important in china and saving face so this means that we have to meet the different so uh, the head of the supply chain the different factory owners we have to sit down with them with dinner they have to kind of practice and all these little amenities when you know take them out uh, take them out to drink and make sure little things is like where you need to sit to the right of them make sure you pour or you know if you're pouring wine you sit you you're serving uh, as a sign of respect to the left to the right serving your boss when you cheers the cup you're uh, you know you cheers under the cup basically you never go higher so little amenities that that help you create this relationship because what happens is that at any point you know if you don't if you don't have a strong relationship, then your projects are not gonna get done as efficient. For the, they're not gonna get prioritized. They're not gonna be as as uh, as transparent. They're not gonna create this long-lasting relationship. So, 
it was a lot of dinners, a lot of dinners in different factories, right? I have gone to factories in, in, in tech and in textile and plastic wood. I've slept in factories. Sometimes we have productions that we have to, you know, uh, we have a, a mass production order that needs to get done before a certain day gets shipped up and we need to do quality control testing. So we are actually, you know, we're checking, we have a quality control team, but we also, we're there as well, making sure all, all the different uh, models are being done correctly. So uh, to take a step back, how do we do the process? First question. So we do everything in three phases. The first phase is the onboarding. It's a team of people that consistent of a quality control team, director of operations, an account manager, I see a foes, Canadian descent, has 30 plus years of uh, logistics and manufacturing experience. Our CEO comes from a manufacturing family, she is Chinese descent. And we have a director of operations that creates this quality control standard document. So this document basically entails every single inch of what is the project, what is the different components. So, so we use a component control method that's very similar how Foxconn and Apple operates. We take any project, we separate it into different uh, components. This way this creates a higher rate of IP protection and, and quality control because you're having one component done in one specific supplier that's been certified, has an NDA, and it's working on just one component. Once they finish this, we put it together with other components and we put it together in an assembly house that's, uh, that's overwatched by the team that we give to the client. So uh, that would be the first phase. And when this first phase, we provide basically the entire brand foundation. This is we're setting up the different supply chains, all the different pricings, all the different uh, certifications, everything we need to move to development. Uh, development, that's where we make the actual prototype. Uh, you know, depending on what is the, the material, if we have a couple of different components or what other different mold process, uh, or we need injection molding, whatever it is, we iterate it during this process and we finalize the prototype, we send it to the client. If they're satisfied, we move to, to uh, pre-pilot mass production. Basically, a pre-pilot mass production is like, before we make a couple hundred, we make a small batch to make sure everything's coming out perfectly. And then after this, we move towards a uh, packaging and then logistics. And then we ship it anywhere that, you know, um, anywhere in the world that hasn't, that doesn't have any sanctions of the United Nations, right? Like we can't ship it to, unfortunately, to like North Korea or, or Somalia or, you know, probably a little, I think Russia is a little difficult these days, right? But for the most part, we, we create the entire process and uh, the entire brand in the three phases. Um, a lot of, uh, I share some of our, our case studies. A lot of, pro of our projects have been, uh, uh, have gone to do partnership with uh, Ford and uh, with Disney and been in Shark Tank and uh, have been, you know, we have hundreds of brands at this point from everywhere, from tech to watches to, tex uh, to um, textile, wooden cup, whatever it is. Kind of, we're a little bit all over the place now. So, that's, I don't know, it was a long-winded answer. That's kind of how we do the process. Uh, that's how I have, in this past nine years, I have picked up, my, you know, my Mandarin and, and you know, been, been close, like you said in the introduction. I've been blessed to work with the top engineers and designers when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the whole product development process. We have a team, like one of our, I'm really passionate for music and, and any kind of, sustainable products so any kind of project that is working on using biodegradable materials 
or any projects that's related to sound and music. I uh, I spent a lot of time with this as far as doing research on how and, and getting feedback from different engineers and designers and different factories owner like this is a different way it can be made uh, and the different approaches that it can be made. So yeah, experience uh, knowledge just comes from experience and just being there and just uh, you know just going back and forth and obviously there's got to be hiccups along the way and. I think we what we excel at the the best is communication. What we've done is that we create a timeline because most crowdfunding platforms have a timeline. You got to deliver a project. So what we do is that we give you a timeline for the first phase, the second phase, and third phase. And when this timeline, we always give time a little room for hiccups. Right? There are going to be hiccups along the way. Making a product is it's not a perfect uh, operation. But what we do is by giving this little room. For hiccups, we could find any issues before it happens and solve them and you know, reiterate the answers to the client together as we move forward. So that's, that's a long window, but yeah, that's how we begin the process. Thank you. That's really interesting and it's very comprehensive. And I want to ask some questions that could be interesting to people improving even in the Western world, their business deals. So did or how did that relationship building and saving saving face with your Chinese partners make you a better relationship builder with people in South America, North America, Europe, etc.? How did it influence your thinking? And did you find those lessons useful and applicable? I think every lesson, even prior to this job, kind of... Uh, add to who you are today you know a lot i think a lot of my relationship buildings and you know, and event leading and confidence just comes from my background you know i have i've done a lot of events uh since i was in university i was you know i was a co-founder co of this financial chapter in my university in new york and i was always doing corporate events and uh you know what do you call it boot camps event resume building events which led to me doing different uh, professional events and kind of networking events all over uh, New York, Guangzhou, Chengdu, Hong Kong, uh, Cambodia, uh, and Mumbai, and, and Santiago, Dominican Republic. And as well as my background, I had, uh, I taught for a while and I was in public speaking. So I think having, leading different events, uh, different events through my through my kind of my public speaking mentality allows me to approach any relationship. Like how I speak Chinese is, it's not the common, very, very kind of uh, uh, standard Chinese, right? Um, how do I explain this? So I think you could go to a school, what most people do, like when they learn in Chinese and they learn the proper Chinese. Like, you know, if you say, like the proper Chinese has a very, Harder tone, which is from the north, from Beijing. Like uh, people from the north, they say, "Where are you going?" They'll say, "Nichunar, and that's like the harder. And this is how they teach you in school. But the south, in south of China, Guangzhou has uh, Cantonese for the most part, but also it's more relaxed. And it's, instead of saying "Nichunar," they say "Nichunali." It's already like this. This uh, this more informal way of communicating and my background combined with this uh, community that I was surrounded with in Guangzhou allowed me to kind of speak Chinese as a more friendly way like when I speak to 
like when I, I'm speaking to different factory bosses or I'm in the factory or I'm having dinner with them, I'll speak to them, I'll speak to them like I'll sound more as, let's say, as their neighbor and uh, someone kind of like a long lost friend instead of more professional, um, which I tend, this tends to kind of ease up the ease up the, the, the relationships and negotiations when you approach it, you know, you kind of break bread. Like most, most of the relationship you're building, the first first level is just, you know, BSing and breaking bread, but also kind of getting to know the person, also getting the person to, to like you, creating this, this, this humorous relationship, you know, making jokes about the, the day-to-day things, right? I, you know, like uh, the Chinese that I picked up is some of my friends and that I met from in Guangzhou, young friends, and then I have some slang into it. So, if somebody does something cool, uh, for example, if you know we're having dinner, if somebody oh you finish the glass, you go like, oh, they'll say Leo Leo Leo, six 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 six. Believe it or not, six 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 for <laughs> it's it means really uh, impressive, very cool in Chinese and Mandarin, right? So this is like a, a like a slang thing that the locals know, but you wouldn't learn this in school, right? You know, that's a, that's a cool tip. Anywhere, anytime you're with any Chinese friends or they do something, you go like, Leo, 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 Leo. They go like, oh my God, how do you know that? And they, they, they get very, they get very amused and like, oh, that's so cool. And little things like this that help you build a relationship into a more genuine relationship. So uh, relationship building is not just like negotiating, getting to like them, get them, to, uh, get them to like you, but it's more about uh, make them feel that you know their culture, which is something, you know, something difficult. You really got to get immersed in the culture, uh, in any culture you live in, any country. At this point, you know, I lived in, I lived in, in England and lived in Central America, lived in, in New York City, different parts of Asia, and you have to really get, uh, you have to really, really go the extra mile to get out, to understand the culture, right? Not just learn the history, but also go to go to the you know like the alleys when you go to a new country when you go to a new country people always go to the most famous restaurants but the best friends are the best restaurants are usually in the back alley you know that looks a little a little shady you kind of you're questioning whether you're like they're gonna take your life if you're going down this alley but this is this is where the relationship are built this is where you learn the actual culture this is where people are themselves so uh, definitely having the, the time, not just, you know, visiting different factories, but also traveling all over China, learning the difference between different Chinese cultures. You know, they have over 50, 55 or 56 different minorities, and they all have different different patterns and different way of communicating and different foods, right? It's a massive. It's 1.4 to 1.6 billion people. So once you kind of speak to them, understanding them, and that definitely gives you an advantage. Like if I'm speaking to someone from Sichuan, it's different than I'm speaking to somebody from Guangdong. It's different than I'm speaking to somebody from Beijing or from Fujian, right? Sichuan is more, Sichuan is like the spicy capital of China. They have more of of a relaxed language and they're more laid back. You know, instead of saying like, okay, you know, the standard Mandarin is how, they go ha ha ha, which is good, 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 okay. They'll say, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. They. Even like the way they'll say it, it's more relaxed. So if you're speaking with a uh, supplier or you're meeting them, 
and in their territory and they are from Sichuan then this is something you kind of have to know so it becomes it becomes a task but also it becomes a fun task for you to understand the difference and you know the different foods they like the different uh, patterns so uh, it, it takes a long time for me I have Chinese friends that taught me uh, like the rice something like the taking chopsticks and a bowl of white rice and different cities around China means completely different things. One time, uh, from the south, if you put it, it means it's disrespectful. It's a sign as like you don't respect them. But for others, it's like it's a stand against the uh, against the the facility, which it comes it comes from like when the Japanese were uh, invading China and they were forcing them to eat their rice, and then some Chinese people started putting their chopsticks saying. I don't want to eat your rice because my rice is better. My country is better. You know, it's a form of defiance, right? So in, in some places in China, that's disrespectful. In other places, putting a bowl of rice, a culture is completely the opposite. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very it's very interesting, complicated, and, and long. But for sure, is a very fun experience to understand the different parts of the country and this goes with any country i think most people think like every country you get kind of generalized like americans new yorkers uh an american from new york or from california or from texas or from north carolina or from chicago are completely different right yes we have the the language we have the same you know more or less politics but you have different practices we have different food you have different views so um, you know, when you're speaking to someone from, from California, uh, how you approach business with them is very different uh, how you're speaking to somebody from New York. So uh, relationship building is the first step is learning where they come from, learning what, what are the pros and cons, what are the, uh, the, the ticks, what, what ticks them off and what is the things that's going to make them happier to kind of prolong the relationship and understanding what's the best way to approach it. Now. Yeah, it's a challenging process, but uh, I think it just comes from experience. And it just comes from, you know, you failing, you you meeting different people, and you just listening, right? When I meet someone new from a different country, I'm just like, all right, tell me tell me everything at, your, at this point. You know, I travel in the past 15 years, I you know, not to brag, but I've been to 40, 50 countries. At some point, I kind of started counting, but... I started learning the different ways, the different cultures, uh, the different uh, just the different practices that makes them unique, right? Everybody wants to understand like this is what makes me unique, and this is how I want to be understand. And it's uh, it's not an easy job for sure. It's a it's a difficult task, but it's so worthwhile and so rewarding at the end when you're just having uh, when you have this genuine conversation with somebody just because uh, we you got to know their culture you took the extra mile like before we started this conversation uh, you know when you told me you're Tunisia I'm like oh my god North Africa I have a lot of friends that are Jittery Moroccans and Tunisian descent and I understand that the, the food is completely different from the from the rest of Africa they have the culture that I will say is a little similar to Latin right? they have this like Arabic French uh uh, yeah, there's like three, four languages. I most speak Arabic, French, Italian, and English, and they have this combined culture that is right under Europe and on top of Africa. That makes them unique in that sort of way. So definitely learning their 
learning what makes a, a culture unique as, as a pro in the process. Thank you, Brian. This is really, really cool. And you have a lot of knowledge to share. So for someone who wants to get in touch with you or with the team that you're working with, what are the best links? And I will make sure to write some of them in the podcast uh, episode description. Um, I think the best way LinkedIn is is become a good tool. I'll give you my email at the end. I'll be more than happy to you know respond to anyone by email. Will be the fastest contact. But I I use now at this point I'm using WhatsApp for Central. Or, Central and South America and Europe. Then I use WeChat for China. Now I'm using Signal for other parts. Then I have Viber. So all these messages, like everyone tends to be more comfortable with a certain app. And that's how I, you know, certain clients prefer to work with a certain app. So uh, I have all these apps. The point of the conversation is like I, ha- I open up my phone and I have, okay, Skype, Viber, Signal, WeChat, even Korean apps. So uh, email and LinkedIn would be the best way to contact. Thank you. I'll make sure to write the LinkedIn, which is actually how we communicated the LinkedIn link in the description. And before we finish, of course, thank you, Brian. I learned so much from you. You're like the expert on cultural diversity and cultural uniqueness and how to adapt to different cultures, which is something that as the world becomes more connected and open, becomes much more necessary. And thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.